Where else can you go to not only find the information on how to train your dog, but the best deals on training equipment as well? Standing Stone Supply has everything you need to create that next versatile champion from DT system electronics down to even emergency med kits to take with you on your hunting trips. If you need some help with your training program, then their step-by-step -step online course might be a great fit for you, making it a convenient one-stop shop for the knowledge as well as the gear to take your training to the next level. Hit up standingstonesupply.com and promo code GDIY will save you 10%. As someone who constantly travels to new locations out of state to hunt, I have to rely on map scouting before I even get in the truck. Onyx Hunt Maps makes it super easy for me to plan out my trips as well as track my success while on the trip. The offline maps along with the tracking feature and ability to add pictures to my waypoints means I can always reference old trips and hunts to better prepare for the next. When planning your next hunt, be sure to use Onyx to put you and your dog in the best situation you can. Use code GDIY20 at checkout to save 20% and know where you stand with Onyx. GDIY profiles are bonus episodes that tell the stories of how your everyday handler got into the gun dog world. You'll hear plenty of examples of what to do as well as what not to do and how they learn from those experiences. These episodes are being put out to tell the honest stories that we as do-it-yourself dog handlers can all relate to. If you think you would be a good fit for a profile episode, please go to gundogyourself.com and complete the contact form and we may get back to you so that you can share your story. All right, everybody, welcome back to another edition of the GDIY Profile. My guest this time is Carson Phelan. Carson, how you doing, bud? And doing well, how are you? Uh, living the dream as always, can't complain. Let's go ahead and start off what we start off with on everybody. Tell everybody where you're calling from and what kind of dogs you run. Yeah, uh, so yeah, like you said, Carson Phelan, I'm calling from Cuna, Idaho. I relocated here about three years ago, and currently my dog list is, I've got two drops, and I may or may not have had a tackle pop up into my house yesterday, so now we got one of those as well. A tackle pup, huh? Yep, exactly. Well, I do want to hear about the drots, but I, let's start off with the tackle. What's going on with the tackle? That's not, that's not the most common breed that you hear of, even compared to a drot. Yeah, well, I don't know. You just kind of, once you get stuck on bearded dogs, you just got to have all of them. So um, the guy, we'll get into that a little bit, but the breeder I've got my last drop from, his name is Josh Henson with Outlaw, uh, VD Outlaw down at, down here in Idaho. Um, he's got a tackle that he's been trying to breed for a couple of years, but having some issues. And then, uh, you know, Anthony Williams was on your podcast, what, a year or two ago? Uh, he bred one of Anthony's dogs. I've uh, become friends with Anthony as well. And then, so it was not really in the plans. And then me and my wife were just kind of, you know, liked the idea. thought it'd be fun. And we kind of were like, no, it's not happening. And then uh, Josh texts me on Sunday. He's like, hey, are you home on, are you home tomorrow? I'm like, yeah. He's like, all right, I got to drop a puppy off in Boise. Um, and we swing by. Okay, sounds good. Well, he shows up and he gets out of the truck and hands me paperwork. He said, "Hey, that puppy I was bringing to drop by is uh, this one right here." So let's go inside and chat. So <laughs> brought two, hooked you. Yeah, he brought two dogs, and my my son's been begging to. When we went and picked up the draw, he obviously had his tackle there, and uh, my son loved it. And he always talks about the dog with the little legs. You know, he's always talking about that. So he's cruise five. So. Uh, yeah, that was pretty much a hook, line, and sinker. So I think it'll be fun where, you know, it doesn't correlate perfectly. But when I'm pulling, you know, drags for tracking and doing blood trails and everything with my draws, I can bring my son out and he can have fun with his little tackle. So it'll be fun. You know, we'll go do stuff. But, you know, it's mostly going to be a 
uh, hanging around the house dog. But I mean, we got tons of badgers here. So, I mean, just five minutes down the road, there's badgers everywhere. So we can go dig them out with the tackle and have fun with the drops. So, so man, that's really interesting. You know, it's, it's funny. You, you got a couple breeds that maybe, uh, a listener of the podcast and as familiar with on this, such as a Teckle or a, or a Jag Terrier or something like that. They're kind of like almost mini draughts, so to speak, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Uh, I, I know, I know the owners of each individual breed probably just like, you know, threw something at the radio hearing that, but it's like you said, it's kind of just the miniature bearded version of, of what you like, but man, so when if you do actually go after the badgers and digging them out do you really just find the hole and send them in like what's the process dude i have no idea i haven't done the process yet so i'm gonna have to find out i've got a lot of friends that are in the tackle world now so now i've got to go actually start figuring stuff out because the other day it was you know a week or two ago i was driving my daughter to work she she she's 14 she works at a, a neighbor's house and it's right up against all the blm land and there's dude there's badger holes everywhere like i won't run my dogs up there because there's so many badger holes and uh anyway we're driving we're gonna make a turn it's in the morning i see this badger across the road and i've got both draughts in the truck i got both my kids in the truck so i i hurry up there really quick and i park and i can see the badger poking its head out of the hole so i get the dogs out and i go over and they go track to the hole and couldn't get him to come out but the whole time i was there i was like oh man what am i gonna do if they do get this stinking thing because i didn't have a sidearm on me yeah i don't know i mean i think it's a lot sending tackles down getting shovels digging them out I, but i really don't know i can't say for sure so this is going to be a whole new experience for me that's for sure but it'll be exciting we're excited You'll have to let me know. It's it's funny. The the only run-in with a badger I've had was in South Dakota a couple years ago. And I, I was with my buddy Jacob, who's a drot guy, you know. And and I tell everybody, like, drot guys, man, y'all, y'all are just y- – y'all think <laughs> of things in a different light or different way. You know, I come across a big badger hole, and, and we look down in there, and we can see the badger – and my first instinct is get the dogs the heck away from here. Let's go hunt because it's going to screw up my trip. And I start walking off and I get about, you know, I don't know, maybe 30, 40 yards uh, away from it. My dog goes on hunting and I look back and my buddy Jacob's still just sitting there staring at the hole. I'm like, what are you doing? He's like, I kind of want to send Tig in there after it. I'm like, man, quit being a drot guy. Come on. We, we're here to hunt birds. And I'm like, yeah, we're a bird guy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, there's no telling how that... M- that will work out more than likely he'll kill the badger, but, uh, you know, that, that badger might do some damage and we don't even know where the, the closest vet is, uh, where we're yeah. at at that time. So, but you guys, you know, drop guys, it just, it's part of it, man. It's just, you got to change your name. You're, I think your name is gun dog yourself, not bird dog yourself. So, uh, <laughs> right. I think you should go for that, that badger as long as it's a, you know, I think it works great. Well, see, I don't have I don't have a problem doing crazy stuff <laughs> like that. Uh, you know, I, I got my start in the hound world, so you know the, those houndmen they they really come from a different breed. Yeah, but you got to do it in the right light. You know, if, if you're in the middle of nowhere, you d- you don't really know for sure the correct process or way of going about doing it. You have no idea where the vet is near you. You're just kind of asking for trouble there. But, you know, if, if, if I'm sitting there around a campfire and a buddy, you know, we're we're drinking beers and a guy's like, Oh yeah, I do this all the time. And you know, this is what my dog does. And you know, you should see it. Yeah. Come on out. 
I, don't threaten me with a good time. <laughs> I'm going to go do it. But, you know, we're out there shooting prairie chickens. I, you know, you, I'm not the most opportunistic badger hunter, I guess, is <laughs> what, what I'm trying yeah. to say. <laughs> no, I hear you. There's definitely some risks, risks for it. And it's a little bit weird changing your mindset when you're, because I, you know, I guess we'll get into that, you know, back history, but it's a little bit different when you're used to just going and chasing birds and avoiding everything else to, seeing all sorts of other things and it just being an opportunity and all of a sudden oh i'm not hunting huns anymore i'm not hunting chuckers anymore i'm chasing whatever this was you know it's definitely different but it's fun i i really enjoy it it's nice to be able to just go do whatever with whatever and not have to worry about finding one specific thing it's what if it lives let's chase it Exactly. You know, me and my dogs, we're going out We're we have a target We're you know, we're bird hunting, we're, we're pheasant hunting, we're hunt hunting, we're uh, fill in the blank hunting and then drop guys and, and people with that mentality, they're just hunting <laughs> Whatever, <laughs> yep. whatever's open and available. Let's go for it. Yep. So, so let's get into the backstory. You know, where, where did the, uh, where did your desire to get a drop come from how long have you had them and and what's been your like primary targets and and goals for them yeah so i'll kind of try to summarize a little bit so i'm 32 now um growing up my dad hunted and fished a lot before he had kids and then he had five kids that were five and under i'm six or seven and he didn't have time so obviously most of that stopped um, and then once I got to be about, you know, eight, nine or whatever, um, he started taking me, me and my, me and my brother out mule deer hunting, which was fun. And I just loved it. I was, I was that kid that was in the backyard with full camo with a pellet gun, shooting birds and doing whatever. I just, that was just my lifestyle. And once I got to about, I don't know, 12, 13, met some friends with football that, uh, their dad had a membership to one of the big duck clubs. I grew up in Utah. So down there, right off the Great Salt Lake. And, uh, you know, going in their house and they just got, you know, duck mounts everywhere. And I was just super interested, you know. And uh, I, I went out on a, a duck hunt with them. I, I didn't have a gun. I was just out there. And they shot a few ducks, you know, nothing crazy. But I was just, you know, amazed by it. It was just the coolest thing seeing ducks come in and decoy. So that was cool. Well, also, when we were out deer hunting, I had been seeing uh, sage grouse. We didn't know what the heck they were. They were just giant tan beach balls walking around. We're like, what in the heck is that? Beach you know, we're balls. We're running into them <laughs> everywhere. So this all kind of comes together. I went on that duck hunt. We'd been seeing sage grouse. My dad got me just the old standard Remington H70 for, for Christmas that year. So I went and shot some rabbits with that. And then the next year um i can't remember if it was a draw system at that point but in utah you can shoot two sage grouse a year you gotta get tags before it was over the counter you just go grab them but now you gotta put into a draw and, and draw out for them um but anyway so we get tags and uh we head out there and i oh at that point i had bought a lab off of uh ksl classifieds it's like a, a craigslist or facebook marketplace or something like that so I'm 15, found this lab online, chocolate lab, hundred bucks, you know, go grab it. Great. No clue what I'm doing, you know, taping wings to bumpers and getting, you know, grouse sent out. Like, I have no clue what I'm doing. My dad doesn't train dogs. The internet's a thing, but it's not really a, you know, like it is now. Anyway, so we go out there and I got this four month old lab and 
we're finding birds and we're shooting, you know, we ended up shooting our birds and the dog was more or less useless at that point, you know, but it was, it was fun, you know, and, uh, come home and the next day was the youth duck hunt and, uh, couldn't find my waiters anywhere. And my dad's like, well, guess we're not going. I was like, Oh, we're going. So we walk out there and I went on my first duck hunt with my, uh, tennis shoes, and, you know, uh, <laughs> Levi's on and shot myself a limited ducks and my lab got a few retrieves, but again, we don't really know what we're doing. Anyway, fast forward, um, the next year, somehow on, on somewhere, I found a YouTube video of pointing dogs on Woodcock. I don't know. I have no clue how I came across it because it wasn't like it is now. And I remember those dogs pointing those Woodcock and seeing how close they were, like you know how tight they're holding. Well, now I know how close, you know, how tight Woodcock cold and they don't correlate. But in my head, I'm like, oh, we're walking past hundreds of sage grouse. There's no way we're not. There's <laughs> sage grouse everywhere out here. You know, because like I said, because a sage grouse and a woodcock are, are very similar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. They're very similar, you know. But like I said, I was 15. I didn't know any difference at this point. So anyway. Uh, there was this website online called Utah Bird Dogs, and that's that was the happening place. You know, it was kind of uh, it was before Facebook or anything like that. And uh, jump on there, and I found this pointer, you know, this English pointer for two hundred fifty bucks or something, which was typical price at that point. You know, back then. So I go grab this dog, and I have no clue what I'm doing. Like I have no idea. Hunting, doing different stuff. Long story short, enjoy that dog, end up selling that dog, another pointer. And I've just kind of been in and out of pointers and short hairs, you know, ever since. I kept the lab the whole time because I really enjoy waterfowl hunting and I really enjoy upland game. And so I would go out on Saturday and go shoot chuckers and I'd go out on Sunday and shoot ducks. Or sometimes I'd do both in a day, you know, but I was rotating dogs. And it just kind of got to the point, you know, I was like, you know, this would be nice to have an all-in-one dog where I'm not leaving one dog home you know, different stuff, but still never really jumped in. Well, fast forward, you know, 10, 12 years, end up marrying. I met a guy online that was training bird dogs with. I ended up marrying his sister like five years later. And uh, so we get married and she already had a kid. So I I, I was an insta dad. I got a five-year-old daughter at that point and ended up having a couple more kids. And we just kind of hit this point where I couldn't go out all day hunting anymore. Like I couldn't, I can't just leave and go for eight, 10 hours or go multiple times a week. You know, I just wasn't at that place in life at that point. So we decided like, okay, let's, uh, if we move to waterfowl, I'll get a boat. I can move to waterfowl. That's closer to home. I can take kids with me because I can just throw them in the boat. We can have a heater. You know, it's not like they're hiking up. So at this point I'm full on charter hunter, you know, so it's hard to take kids up that kind of stuff. So anyway, we ended up rehoming those two short hairs I had at that point. And I was going to take a year or two off from dogs while I get that started. And this whole time, you know, I'd always wanted to draw. You know, I'd always seen pictures, you know, before they were even popular like they are now. Like nobody had them at this point, but I always liked them. So it's like, okay, at some point I'm going to switch and get a wire hair or draw. Well, I go to a duck calling class, you know, uh, Brett Wanacott keeps popping up all over the, right? So, so, uh, Brett's a really great guy. I had met him on that bird dog forum, actually, the same place. Well, every summer, Brett would do a duck calling class. Um, 
for free. You just have people come out, 15, 20 people and sign up for this, you know, seven or eight week long course or something and teach you how to call for ducks, you know, cause he goes to the, or he used to go compete at the worlds and everything like that. So it's pretty cool. Anyway, like, all right, well, I'm getting back in duck hunting. So we're going to go do this. And I show up there and I hadn't seen Brett in a while. So we're talking. He's like, you still in dogs? Like, no. Got out of him a little while ago, switching over to waterfowl, hence why I'm here. And uh, I'm going to get a drop when I do, you know, and he's got setters. because So he's like, oh, man, you know, those drops are kind of, you know, because they are. They're a little bit wired differently. You know, so we're just chatting about that for a minute. Anyway, class goes well, and this guy shows up, you know, comes over to me and talks to me. He's like, hey, did I hear you got drops? I'm like, no, I'm planning on getting one. He's like, oh, well, I got a litter on the ground right now. I'm like, oh, really? No. He's like, yeah. He's like, well, what are you looking for? I was like, well, I want a black male. He's like, ah, I only got brown females left. I'm like, oh, that's all right. He wasn't too far from the house. I was like, well, we're just, you know, you care if we just come take a look and just, you know, hang out? He's like, yeah, sure. Well, we show up. Well. A, a, a female or male ended up becoming available and sure enough you know that dog ends up coming home so that was my first draw that was 2019 so he's four or five now at this point grizz and he's been great he's been really good um like i said the, the reason i kind of wanted to switch over to draw specifically was the versatility and go after ducks and go after truckers i can do, go do all that stuff um but their mental stability and their like everybody says, they're off switch. They're really good being in the house, coming, laying down, sitting in their place, not running all over the place, uh, not hard for the little kids. I mean, there's, you know, my dogs are 65 pound dogs, but you can get draughts that are 85, 90, 95 pounds. And they're not hard for the kids, little kids to be moving around. But when I'm out chasing chuckers, it's a whole nother game. They're, they're running just as big as my short hairs were, you know? So it's kind of a good, um, accommodation for me you know and between between that first drive and your tackle you just have have that uh uncanny ability for dogs just to fall in your lap it sounds like <laughs> yeah just kind of happens so i've got like i said i got two drops now and i got that tackle so that first drop was good um as everybody knows the vdd um gna we they have their testing system and They've got to run through the VJP, which is the spring after they're born, and they go do pointing work. They go, we go track rabbits. Um, and for the most part, that's kind of what we're doing. We're just evaluating, you know, pretty basic stuff, kind of like the NA test for uh, for NAVDA. And then the following fall, so I'm I'm right, I'm right there right now in between the second dog. The next fall, you have the HZP, which is a lot more uh trained dog stuff you got to go do your pointing work you got to fetch your dead birds out there you got to go do a 300 meter so 300 basically 300 yard um, rabbit drag they got to go track it down come back retrieve to hand you got to do a uh, blind duck retrieve and you got to do a duck search as well a couple other little things in there but it takes a lot of dedication and training uh, that goes into it um, but I really like it because it forces you just like NAVDA, if you're signing up for tests, it forces you to put in the effort that you want to, and you're not going to slack off. Um, so with, with Grizz though, cause I got in 2019 and I was training for VJP and test was about three weeks out and then COVID hit and shut the whole thing down. So that was unfortunate, but that was all right. So I jumped straight into force fetch. I mean, the, the test canceled and I started force fetch the next day because 
you got to have them force fetch for the next test. So at this point, nobody knew, knew what was going to happen. You know, are we going to be up and running in two weeks? Is it going to be, we had no clue. So, you know, I, I'm still practicing and, and assuming I'm going to test, you know, and I had bought my boat. Well, about July-ish happens. And uh, that's when me and you started talking because I was looking at a job and I was looking to move to Tennessee possibly. Thank goodness that didn't happen. I'm glad I'm not out in Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> I remember talking to you. I was like, man, like the you you can do some stuff here, but you're coming from Utah. Like you're it's not it's not gonna be what you're used to. <laughs> I think I could have figured it out, but man, I'm happy. So I, I didn't get that job, got another job up here in Idaho and I moved. So that was kind of interesting timing because I moved. Uh, I was living up here by myself, still trying to train the dog. Um, but the test happened to fall over the weekend that was the muzzleloader deer hunt. Utah's like, okay, this dog, there was something with the litter that already made them so they weren't breedable anyway. I was trying to go through the test just to learn, but the dogs, all of the puppies were already not breedable. So I've been talking to Jeff, uh, the breeder for ham, uh, quite a bit. And we kind of agreed, like, look, you know, don't miss the last year hunt with your dad and your brother that for the foreseeable future, go, go do your deer hunt. You're moving anyway, go do that stuff. You've been putting in the work for the dog. Don't worry about it. So I didn't end up uh, testing Grizz and I ended up kind of almost jealous or bitter about it for the next, you know, three years. Cause I really wanted to go run through the testing system. I ended up talking to another breeder, here in uh in idaho i've been talking to him a whole lot his name is josh henson like i said with vd outlaw and um he had a litter on the ground last year about this time about a week or two before now and um you know we just kind of came to an agreement you know i ended up picking up a dog from him um there was a little bit more of that conversation but it was good because it got got me kick-started back into the program i went and tested vjp in the spring like i said yukon did really well on that you know we had found our little cooperation things that we need to work on but overall did really well and uh we've been hitting it really really hard this spring i've been I, or this summer i've been training a lot and vjp's in or hcp's in three weeks and we're ready i cannot wait to hit it but um man these dogs have just been so fun you know to have at the house like i said coming in being relaxed calm with the family the kids can you know climb up all of them do whatever they want and then, like I said, Grizz gets out four, five, six hundred yards chasing chuckers sometimes. You know, he's he's out there. UConn last year was pretty young. Uh, we were out. He had one day we shot, we got eight, I got eight cubbies up, shot six huns in about an hour and a half. It was a crazy day. And uh, he had a, one or two finds that he didn't quite work well enough to me, for me to get some shooting, but he backed all the other cubbies with Grizz. So that was pretty cool get that stuff but this year will be his his first real year of him just going out we had some time last year but you know four months old you can't expect a whole lot and and i tell everybody the sophomore season's where it's at anyway you know the the first season's exposure it's fun and and it is what it is we all love seeing a puppy just kind of out there light bulbs kind of flickering here and there and 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 you see some moments but i i don't i tell everybody like don't go into it kind of thinking of it as an actual like quote-unquote real hunt just know that that you're going out there to just kind of put the dog in the situation and if it works out it works out but but the sophomore season 
that's my favorite season for for almost all dogs. Like you just you you just build off that experience or foundation that you expose them to in the first season, and then you really start seeing instead of that light bulb flickering, you can start seeing it come on and stay on for for hunts and full walks and and it's really exciting when you get into that sophomore season. It just it, it's something completely different, and I, I think it's it's funny that you you were doing this in Utah. You're getting out of it to do waterfowl, and then by you going to try and educate yourself more on how to do that, you end up right back into doing the versatile game anyway, (laughs) and then moving up to Idaho. So I got to add, like, how much are you doing more upland comparative to waterfowl now, or are you still doing a little bit of both? Well, I've shot two ducks in three years, so probably a upland game. (laughs) Well, it's just different up here. So I sold my my boat. There's a lot of marshland right close to where I was, you know, lots of it where it'd have been easy to go hit four different WMAs in three, you know, 30 minutes. And then all the upland game, it was, you know, yeah, there's stuff close, but for the most part, I was driving an hour and a half, two and a half hours to get to my trucker spots. And it was, it's a haul to get up there. So you're driving, it takes you an hour to get to where birds are, even are. And so it's, it's more long, long days. So when I moved up here, I sold my boat. And, uh, cause up here, there's some WMAs are a little bit farther. You got some big rivers that I really wish I had my boat for now, but I can shoot chuckers in 35 minutes from my house, like leave the house here, pull over, unload my dogs. And I've had them on hunts and or chuckers in two minutes. Like I haven't even left my truck and the dogs are on point, you know? So I've got a lot of areas around close that I can just go hit, which is really nice on a Saturday morning. I can get up, I can go hunt. I can be back by 11 o'clock. Then we can go to our soccer games where we can go do whatever we want. I do plan to go shoot more ducks this year, but I got to gear up. I need new waders. I need all new decoys. I need new spots. I need everything, but I do want to go shoot more ducks this year. So, Man, it, it's it, it's kind of a catch-22 for me because I, I love eating ducks. When when somebody cooks a duck the right way and, and they pluck it, not not just breasting it out, but they pluck the duck, yeah. skin, on, skin on, and they roast it, and it turns out really well. Like, man, it, it's hard to beat that. But I've gotten kind of spoiled over the years. The more focus and intentionality I put behind Upland, not having to wake up at 3 a.m., and go wrestle a bunch of people on public land and then freeze. And, and, you know, not that I mind all that, you know, for the most part, but there's something to be said for just waking up at a, at a regular time, enjoying your coffee, taking your time to get out there. So like everything that you just said, like you need waiters, you need decoys. It's like, man, it's just hard to just wake up and be like, you know, all I need is some boots and my shotgun and dog. Let's go. (laughs) That's all I need. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Let's go. Exactly. Especially with how easy uh, access is here to go get on Upland game. I mean, yeah, you can go drive a heck of a lot farther. You can go get into a lot of other areas. Yes. But if you want to just do it nice and quick, you only have two hours. I can make it happen. Or the nice thing here too, especially having two dogs, especially early season, I can go for a mile or two loop really quick come back, drop a dog, go move to another spot where Utah, there's not a chance I'm hiking up there and coming back down and rotating dogs and going back up. There's no way other guys. Sure. Maybe 12 years ago, I would have done that, but not now, not, not happening. So, but up here, I can kind of do that. It's just kind of nice, but 
man, there's just something about covey raises, you know, when you got a dog on point and that the spurges explode, it's just so fun. But, but then I get out duck hunting and I have flocks of ducks coming in to decoy and it's like, oh man, there's nothing like it. So there's so many cool things and experiences I've had in the uplands over the years. And I still tell everybody like the most fun or coolest experience that you're going to see in the hunting space that I I've personally experienced so far is on that magical morning in the duck blind, when you're all set up, the weather's just right. And they're just pitching in wings cupped and you're just listening to the whistling wings and all that. But the problem is, is I was chasing that dragon. It's like you get one of those experiences that, at least down here, like hunting public lane, you might get one of those experiences, maybe if you're lucky once a season. And so it's just like 99% of the time I'm going out there and coming back pissed off and wet and cold and, and whatever. So it's like, but yeah, man, the, a duck hunt on the right morning. I mean, it's, it's tough to beat that, but I I realized on average, I'm, I'm going to enjoy my, my trip into the uplands a lot more than the uh, duck blind, so to speak. But, uh, but just imagine if you actually came down here to Tennessee, man. I think I think uh, you'd be really happy down here. <laughs> no, yeah, I'd be really happy because I'm walking a million miles to find one grouse, maybe humidity that I've never dealt with. Man, it would have been a whole nother world. I think it would have been fun. You know, I, I do think you would have enjoyed it. It would have just been a completely different lifestyle. You know, yeah, can still do the bird dog thing, but it's not like it is here. Probably would have got more into blood tracking with dogs and doing, you know, white tail stuff, you know. And, and I knew he was kind of like that. Like I said, I've got family that lives in Georgia. So I I know it wouldn't have been like I got there and my expectations were blown up because it wasn't what I had built in my head. I, I had an idea what it was, but it is nice being here. I tell you, man, that that one grouse after walking all those miles and days and months, uh, it, you, you, I guarantee you haven't shot a chucker that means nearly as much as what, what that one grouse would mean down here. <laughs> I don't know. All right, here's a story for you. So chucker hunting, my first year, it's like, what, 17? I think it was 17. So I had a guy down in Utah that kind of took me under his wing and was kind of helping me out. And we get out there. I had been once or twice, hadn't, hadn't killed chucker yet. Um, the whole first season, I don't think I killed a bird. And then actually, I don't think I even saw a bird my first year. Not that I went a whole lot, but second year I go out there. I finally just go by myself and I'm hunting this pointer. She was six, seven months old at that point. And it had just snowed the night before, maybe like three inches. And I come up into this kind of boulder field and I'm coming back down and this dog's getting birdie and I'm pointing and move a little bit pointing and all of a sudden I walk up and I see, you know, the trucker tracks going right where we're going. I was like, you know, my adrenaline is just bust up. Right. And so we get going and she just finally locks up and these birds just launch out of there. I drop one of the birds and uh, go grab it. And I'm, I'm just, I'm just ecstatic at this point, you know, just super happy. I can still take you right where that was. Well, the second bird, I think the next weekend I went back with that guy, same area, different spot. We come up on this cliff, and I think Jade, I think that same dog was on point, and these birds take off. Like, I come over the edge of this cliff, and these birds come just busting out of uh, below me. And I shoot, and I drop a leg, right? I'm shooting a double barrel. I can't remember if I got him with the first barrel or second barrel. Drops a leg, and it's flying across. Dude, it's like at least a 1,000 yards to the other hill, the other canyon. 
and just this big bowl underneath. It's flying across and it's, you know, taking off from way up there. It gets halfway across the freaking canyon and just straight vertical drop. You know, he finally just died. He probably fell 500 feet out of the air. Like he was mm-hmm. up there. Well, at this point, it's second bird and I'm not going to let him go. So I leave Caleb up there. I was like, okay, he landed right there. Let me know. So I hiked clear the fetch down there. Like it took forever to get down there. And I'm looking back up at him and he's, you know, waving me and ended up finding it. It was laying right in the middle of an open spot where there wasn't a whole lot of brush. Ended up finding him. But dude, that bird, holy crap, that exerted a lot of energy. So I was beyond excited. There was a lot of miles that went into that one. But it was kind of funny because on the way up, you know, he circles around this way and we're going to meet up here at this draw. He freaking, that year there was a lot of truckers. Uh, his dogs go on point and there was a covey of probably 40 birds. They pop up and they start flying down the canyon. Well, by the time they get to me, they're like little freaking missiles going by. I'm shooting, trying like, it's like pass shooting doves. Missed all of them, couldn't hit any of them, but. Yeah, that was pretty cool though. But man, that bird meant I should have mounted that thing. Cause that meant that was a that was a cool experience, you know. Now it sounds like it, man. I can't wait to uh to try my hand at Chucker one of these days. I'm hoping that uh, I get a chance to do it this season, but but we'll see. It's it's not too far off in the in the distant future either way, whether it's this season or next. But uh I can't wait. You know, it's pin race chucker. It's it's not the same, obviously. Pin raise anything is not the same as as wild birds, but I, I just the, there's something about chucker that has me. It, it might just be the physical demand of it. It might be the elevation. It might be the challenge. It might be all the above. Uh, uh, whatever. I'm looking forward to it. But uh, man, on these profile episodes, I ask the same couple questions for for everybody, right? And the the first of which is I like to hear some relatable stories on something that you screwed up with your dog, you know, training your dog. We all do this ourselves and we're going to screw something up ourselves. Uh, so what's an example of something that you've attempted with your dogs that, uh, taught you a very valuable lesson by the end of it? Um, you know, I was kind of thinking that. So I got two things I want to talk about. One is really basic, hopefully for your, um, newer listeners, newer to bird dogs is set up when you're training, having very thought out proper bird placements and having control of your dog. I think early on, um, I made too many errors. I just kind of being in a hurry, you know, being excited. I was young, you know, I was 17, 18, something like that. And getting birds out there and training by myself whether I was dizzying pigeons or there was a guy that started building launchers back then. He ended up, you know, having an accident passing away, but he was trying to build some more affordable launchers, which I was using. But at that point he didn't have the technology quite right. So the the launching mechanism wasn't great, but I didn't understand how to run a check cord properly. I see a lot of people running check cords, pictures, different things. And I wish they would all pay more attention to like Mo or that kind of stuff to learn how to use a check cord because they're very useful if done properly. Um, But paying attention where the wind's going, where you're setting the bird up, how you're going to bring that dog into those birds, and what are the possible outcomes if something goes wrong, what are you going to do? You can't plan for everything, but if you think about it a little bit more, it's less likely 
you're going to get out there and have something go terribly wrong. And now you're a month behind on training. If you yourself can even fix it, because if you're getting yourself into that problem, who knows if you're going to know how to get yourself out anyway. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing that I learned was having dogs either catch birds or getting into close on the launchers just due to poor planning on my part. Um, so I, most of the time when I go out planting birds now, I pay attention, especially now with dogs to track, you've got to plan it because they will, tra- I mean, my short hairs would track me to the birds anyway, but now the draughts really track me to those birds. So I have to strategically go place a bird, walk down, out, clear around, place another bird and bring that dog completely the other way. So I got to think about it a lot more now than I did before. Big thing on that and the other thing I was thinking about more than that, it's been the biggest eye opener for me with the draughts. This is going to get half your listeners saying, yeah, absolutely. And half of them saying you're crazy. So you're just talking to bird dog people. So yeah. <laughs> bird dog people, right, right? Exactly. I had always grown up, everybody talking about, oh yeah, just let the puppy be a puppy the first year. For me, that causes way more problems and a lot harder to undo them for me. I had always given the the dogs their first year didn't really require a whole lot, didn't do a whole lot of obedience work. You know, of course, doing pointers and short hairs. I wasn't working on sit and stay and, you know, like down stays. But with these draughts, you have the obedience is extremely important to the breed and for judging. If you've got a dog out there that's just wild, it is not going to go well for you on the on the score sheets. So early on, I mean, when dogs are 8, 10, 12 weeks old, you're you're teaching them obedience, manners, not letting them just do their own thing, even out in the hills. And for me, I've been able to get my dogs farther quicker and have a lot less things that I have to undo, like bird chasing. I haven't let either one of these dogs chase birds, even when they're puppies, like maybe a little tiny bit at first. But after that, there is no chasing. And it's a lot easier to get them off and get them stopped doing that versus when I was running dogs and letting them just chase birds the first year of like, no, build up the drive. Yep. Go chase that pigeon around in circles 300 times and then come back when you're ready and you're happy and ready to go do something else. That's been a big thing for me. I don't, I don't do that anymore. And it's, it's helped me a lot. And I mean, that's a, that's a really important talking point because I think context is king. And everything in life. And and really when, when this happens is, you know, there's certain sayings within the bird dog world. And when it comes to training and how we're supposed to do this or not do that to where I think that like people try to sum it up in a very easy saying. Uh, and, and it's not really, it doesn't really do the, do it justice, right? Like without the full context, but sometimes you just don't have the time to address the entire topic for it to make sense because I am one of those people to where I do say, let a puppy be a puppy. But that does not mean in the sense of what, like you just described and how a lot of people take it in sense of you do nothing for the first year, right? Like I'm not saying that. I I talk about it more in the sense of just don't put unnecessary uh, or unfair expectations on the dog within the first year, right? Like we're still building the foundation. We're still exposing the dogs. We're still putting dogs uh, in situations for them to learn, and you're going to establish boundaries over it. 
but I'm not going to go out there with the full on expectation that I'm fully breaking this dog by the f- time that they're going out for the first season. And you said something that's very important to where it's just like, you didn't let your dogs chase from day one. Well, for a lot of dogs, especially, you know, for your average, I would say drive with a lot of drive, that's perfectly fine. Don't let them chase. But then somebody listening to this episode might hear that and maybe they have a, a, an uneasy griff or a Brittany or something. And so they go out there. It's like, well, I'm not letting my dog chase. And then they're tugging on the check cord, which we just talked about. They don't really know fully how to use that. And then next thing you know, what little bit of drive and chase that dog had in it it doesn't have it anymore because you took it out of it. You didn't allow it to build up to it. So there are certain dogs that, yeah, they don't need to chase. Then there are other dogs that absolutely need to chase if you have any hopes into really kind of taking the next step into more advanced training. So it's it's a give and take situation, but but like you're, the the point you make is not lost on me to where it's like, yeah, I wish people would stop saying let a puppy be a puppy as in in the terms of go let it do whatever it wants because that dog's never going to come back to you and be like, okay, now I'm ready, train me. Like, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, no, you're, you're, you're spot on. Um, I, I, I think what you said about you don't have the time to necessarily go into it in full detail and I think that's where it's lost is you get people that maybe this is their first episode. They haven't heard the ones with Rick Smith and Mo and Martha and all these people that talk about it a little bit more. And so they hear one thing and they take it. I don't want to say out of context, but kind of out of context. And they just go down this. They take it at face value. Yeah. yeah. Go on this road that's not right. And you know, whoever said that, that they took it from, didn't mean it that way. And that's what's, it's really nice having social media and different stuff to do these things and talk. But I think sometimes it can get people sort of confused of like, what do I do? Cause for me, I've seen enough dogs where I can say, no, that dog needs to go chase or this dog needs this. I know. But before, when I first started, I had no freaking clue. I messed up so many dogs. It's not even funny because I had no clue what I was doing. And I think that's a big point too. If somebody's listening, find a program. Whether it's the Smith program or the West program, whatever you're doing, find a program. If you do not know, this is your first dog, don't take a little bit from me and a little bit from Nick and a little bit from XYZ and try and create your own program because more than likely it's not going to work. I've done that. It doesn't work. You don't have those building blocks to play off of each other into the next step. You, You don't have them. You think you have an idea of what you're doing and in all reality, not really, where if you get set up with a program for a dog or two and then try another one, eventually, yeah, you can create your own program, what works for you, but you need a a more structured platform to start off on, in my opinion. I think I would have gotten a lot farther with dogs had I done that early. Now, I I don't follow one particular thing, especially now with the drop world. There's not really a, you know, a Rick Smith of the draws, <laughs> right? But you know, I've I've gone through enough trials and errors where I I do have a pretty good thing for me. I'm always learning, but I wish I would have started early on with a program. And dude, I mean, there there's so many sayings within the bird dog world to where people mean it well. They try and sum it up and be helpful, but 
there's, you know, one of the most popular episodes we've done was very early on. I can't remember which number it was. It was called Myth Flushers. And, and we took the common sayings or quote unquote myths in the bird dog world and we kind of broke them down and kind of gave our thoughts on it. I, I'm afraid to listen to it because it was so early on. It's, it, there's no telling what the heck we actually said on that podcast. But <laughs> I've actually had a few listeners reach out and asking like us to do an updated version of it. And uh, so something such as this, like let a puppy be a puppy, you know, birds make a bird dog. Like it, again, not full context, you know, never let a bird dog sit. Everybody's heard all of them. Uh, but you know, it's just like, well, it's, it's meant to just say kind of in passing or just a kind of a tip. And sometimes you don't have a 10 minute conversation to go back and forth and elaborate on, on the full picture for, for the beginners to understand. So I guess if somebody is listening to this and this is their first one is always ask why, when, if somebody comes up to you and says, let a puppy be a puppy ask, you know, well, what do you mean by that? Well, why do you say that? And then, you know, get the full picture. Don't just take it at face value and go home and be like, well, I'm not training my dog till it turns 12 months old. Because then to your point, you're going to have a lot of bad habits to to have to clean up, right? And, and these dogs are smarter. They're more capable than what I think a lot of people give them credit for. And they're only getting better, the better our breeding programs and, and stuff get. So, uh, but man, you just, you listed off a whole bunch of different, people that we've had on the podcast recently, which kind of naturally flows right into the second question I ask everybody. Is there a guest or episode that stands out to you uh, in, since we've been doing this podcast that has helped you in some way, shape, or form? Yeah, that one's been pretty hard. I probably won't have the perfect answer. I've been trying to, I'm like, man, I've been listening. I've been listening since this basically started. Like, oh, I can't think that far back, but uh, we'll stick with the more recent. Um, I think the one with Mo was awesome. Um, I really liked the one with Rick Smith lately. Um, Martha was good, but as far as like series wise, I really liked the Woe series and the Force Fetch series. The reason I like both of those is exactly what we're talking about. Everybody's got their different ways and different methods. And so instead of somebody just popping on and saying, Oh, we'll post. Sweet. That's the way you go. That's how you do it. Well, no, there's four other versions. How do you know that's what you want? Or you could do a stop to walk. All of a sudden they pop on somebody else and they're talking about, you know, healing to, to woe or whatever. And they also know that, oh, that, okay, that's how you do it. So I really like those because it gives, um, you know, three, four five different examples. And it lets the listener um, kind of hear the pros and cons of all of those within you know, two, three, four weeks, and then make a decision for themselves which way they want to go. It doesn't like pre-program them of, oh, this, you know, oh, well, Nick's most recent one was this. So that's got to be the option, you know? So I think that was good. It was, that was good for me too, because I, I learned the woe post way early on before I knew what I was doing. And listening to that, episode made me remember things I had forgotten and it taught me new things with the method that I didn't even know about. So that one was helpful as far as that goes. Um, and I really liked his name, Bud, who did the woe, the, the woe barrel, the barrel, Bud Moore. But yeah, that one was good too, because nobody talks about the woe barrel in depth like he did. Right. And I've always been intrigued by, it. I've never done it, but I was extremely, I've always been interested and then after 
listening to his are like, yep, that's it. I'm moving to this one. Like <laughs> that sounds great, you know? Um, but I, but I've done enough of them where I, I have a general idea of what I'm getting with walking to heel or woe post and is like the structure. But I really like when you get those old school trainers, they're not necessarily PC all the time. They've seen a lot of stuff. They've been through it with and without collars. They've been through all that stuff. So for me, I like listening to the old timers um, because I, I just find myself paying more attention to what they're saying. So I just, I just really enjoy those. So I'm glad you've been doing them lately because I've been all ears. I'll probably have those as re-listen ones. So. Well, I mean, you, you literally just kind of went down. I, I call it like the le- legends uh, that, that I've had on recently. You've, you've named off all of them, you know, Mo, Mo Martha and, and Rick, but Bud belongs up there too. You know, he's a legend in of itself. He he's in the hall of fame. I mean, it, his reputation kind of speaks for itself, but to your point, getting to essentially milk all of them for their information and their decades upon decades of experience, I'm the biggest benefactor of that because I get to a- actually ask the questions myself, but it comes from a true genuine curiosity because to your point, they have experiences and lessons that they have forgotten more so, like they've forgotten more than what we could hope to learn by just going into it to where like Bud Moore, you can milk him for all the information on the barrel and learn more than what if you went out tomorrow and just started putting 20 dogs up on a barrel, how like how much faster you're going to get there by getting to listen to somebody such as Bud talk about his experience over the 50, 60, 70 years that he's been doing it, right? And there is something to the old school mentality to where you, you called it PC, but it's kind of like they're these guys' career, it's already there. It's already established. They're not worried about, you know, a social media storm coming their way because, you know, they said the wrong thing at the wrong time or they showed, you know, the e-collar getting a little heavy on a video. It's kind of like, I think Rick said it in his episode. It's like, hey, you know, if they come get me, you know, I had a good run. Maybe it is time for me to to hang it up, right? He just kind of like, <laughs> yeah, I'm not but, changing. Yeah. And and that's why I love picking those guys' brain because there is no filter. Like they, they're in it for the dog training and the information, and they don't care how it's being perceived or received on on the other end. To where, yeah, you you know, so it might not sit well with some people, but at the end of the day, dog training is dog training. So take the lessons of of what they're talking about in relation to how the dogs interact or react to stuff, and you're going to be that much better off for it. And that's why I love talking to people such as you know Mo Lindley. I mean, heck for obvious reasons, he hasn't been on any other podcast and me being able to go down there and work that in with him to where I'm still, you know, everywhere I go with these, these trainers, I'm picking up little lessons to where when I'm out in the field, I'm like, Oh, this is what Mo was talking about here. This is what Martha was talking about here. You know, I'm not a big barrel guy, but I have an obedience course in my backyard now. And one of those obstacles is a barrel. Well, I've started implementing some of what Bud's talked about on his barrel episode within my little training sessions in the obstacle course. And it kind of goes back to what you're just talking about to where when you first start out, like, man, it's a big world trying to make sense out of all this. Don't try going to pick up, you know, everything from everybody, just focus on one approach and one method, but keep an open ear and open eye 
and learn those valuable lessons from everybody else as you go through it. And then maybe after the second, third, fourth dog, you can start cherry picking what makes sense to you and kind of make it your own thing, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, 100%. And that was actually the really nice thing for me, switching to draughts, completely different world where now I got to learn how to blood track a dog. I got to learn how to go do duck searches properly because that lab just learned on the fly hunting. I didn't teach it anything. It was great, but it learned hunting, right? I couldn't send it on back cast. I couldn't send it over. Like it had lots of holes, you know, but uh, going into the draught world and having so much that I didn't know anything about, I data dumped everything and acted brand new. And that's the really nice thing with the draught world. When you buy a dog, you're not buying a dog and you're gone. That breeder should be, most of them are the good ones for sure, are they know they're tied to you for the next 10 years now and you're their, they are your mentor. They're there to put on training days and go through things with you and keep touch on how the dog's going. And when you send videos, they're helping you because there's so much that people don't know. So Jeff Velasquez with Vom Loco, he was awesome for that. He started me off great. Uh, when my dog was running rabbit tracks, I thought the dog was way off the track, but he was explaining to me, no, here's why he's on it because of wind and, and drifting and different things, you know, and I'm learning and it was great for that. And then I get in with Josh and it's been great as well. Really good sounding board and him and Jeff are very similar in, in different things, but I was able to pick his brain on everything, you know, um, and, and learn a whole lot. Now I know enough where I was having, I was having an issue with uh, Yukon when we hit the water this year uh, after force fetch with some bank running when he got over to the other side, you know, and kind of running the bank and not coming straight back. I called another uh, trainer down Utah drop guy and picked his brain. I had built some other stuff for him. So I kind of, I had been talking to him anyway and I asked him and he came up with an idea of, you know, it's called shore breaking. And he, ex he explained it. I won't go into that, but he explained it to me where I had never been explained it before in my, in, in four or five years. And what he had filled the hole I had in all my force fetch stuff. I was feeling really good except for one particular thing. And that one phone call fixed my hole because it led to the next thing that I wasn't sure on and just filled it perfectly. But I had to kind of gain those relationships and have my own experiences where I knew enough to talk about it and explain my issue where somebody could help me with it. But man, like I said, that's been the best thing about switching to drops is data dumping all of my mind, everything out and acting like a new guy and just learning not, you know, and asking why I think I drive people crazy sometimes because I ask why a lot. Like, I'm not just going to go do something because somebody said it. I'm going to, if you can't explain to me why I'm doing it, you probably don't know why you're doing it either. And I probably shouldn't take your advice. So you explain to me why, and then I'll think about if I'm going to do this or not. Dude. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you're, you're mirroring a lot of what I say to everybody. You know, it, it's one of those, I do get asked from time to time from people like, man, what's it like, you know, having somebody from one method on one week in the very next week you have somebody, you know, saying the complete opposite. And what you just said, the data dump, just leave what you've already learned behind and come at it from another learning perspective of, of why, why, why. And because I could come on and, and every single person that comes on tells me how they're going to train. I could, I could poke holes in it and not, not from my own personal knowledge or experience, but from 
everybody else I've spoken to was. It's like, well, you do it this way, but so-and-so says to do it that way or this way or that way. And it's just like, that's not, that's not what we're after. It's like, if you, if you're humble enough to kind of just leave all of your baggage and and information behind and you come at it with an open mind, there's no telling what you're going to learn from who. And, you know, that's why I go to these seminars and these classes and I hunt with so many different people. And I'm just kind of trying to pick up the nuggets that they leave. But to your point, like you, you have to go into it with the right mindset. If you go into it to where I've done this with two or three dogs, okay, well, you know, that person's done it with 500 dogs. So, you know, why don't you just leave that ego behind and let's ask some genuine questions and and come at it from a, a, a newbie standpoint, but man, we, we can talk about this all freaking day long. You, you did mention something just a second ago, and I, I want to start trying to land this ship here. Uh, your leather work, you know, you you were kind enough to offer up a couple custom uh, leather pieces through your business of filling outdoors, and you offered it up for our Patreon patrons in July and in August. And so I appreciate that, but I want you to kind of take this opportunity to tell everybody what it is that you do, what do you actually make, the process, where can people find you, all all that fun stuff. So I got into leather maybe four four years ago or so. Um, it was actually back when we were in Utah, and I couldn't leave a lot, and I, I get stir crazy. So my wife had bought me a, a leather kit with some tools, you know, to make myself a belt and, you know, I had no clue what I was doing. Just like dog stuff. I'm looking at YouTube and make myself this terrible belt. That was amazing at that point. I still wear it, but it's awful. You know, it was cool. And then I made Grizz, my dog, a a collar. And then I made, uh, Grizz's mom, uh, Mally. I made her a collar to give to, to Jeff as a, you know, Hey, thanks. And, you know, he loved it. It was great. Um, well then I made one or two other little things, maybe, then I moved up to Idaho and Jeff called me and said, Hey, I got a litter coming and I want to give every, all the puppy owners, uh, a new collar from you, you know, Kenya. And he was trying to kickstart me into it, you know, like, yeah, sure. I could do that. So, you know, I make 12 collars, you know, for him. And again, I'm super proud of him. Now I look back at pictures. I was like, Oh gosh, I won't show that to anybody, you know, but <laughs> I'm super proud of him, you know, send him off. And it was pretty cool. I made a couple of little things for him and, you know, of course, he's posting on Facebook and people start seeing him. So they start getting a hold of me. So, you know, for that first year, I was just making a bunch of dog collars, whether they were single piece or two piece with the O-rings in them, you know, breakaways. Just making custom dog collars that have, you know, chucker tracks or, you know, just cool designs where it's not just, you know, a leather collar that you're picking up at the farm store or, or online place. You know, they've got the design with them and they look kind of cool. But that kind of just kick-started a little bit, and people started asking for other things, you know, belts and different stuff. So I've gotten really immersed with it. So kind of speed up two years later, I've kind of just, I do a lot of bird dog stuff, um, whether it's dog-themed belts or even if it's just custom nice belts for everyday use. Um, like I said, I got normal, you know, dog collars that are, you know, you can tell me, oh, okay, you like pheasants, you like ducks, and you like whatever. I can create kind of a scene for you. Um, that kind of goes along with what you like doing. Um, or like I said, a lot of people order chucker track or, I mean, it's basically just an upland game track, um, you know, tracks going down the collar that people like, but that's kind of morphed into more now. Like earlier this year, I bit, I built a, uh, upland game bag for somebody. They sent me some Filson game bags actually. And I created, you know, a drop theme kind of going around it with his name on it. 
and I sewed on those bags for him. And then I built some custom water bottle holders as well that were also, they had his, his last name in them. And so it's kind of a cool little rig. I'm now making, it's been really big this year. The versatile dog guys, we use uh, Jaeger leads, basically a hands-free leash that comes around your body, you know, so you can be doing whatever and walking your dog. Well, the big hole that everybody has on Jaeger leads is they're not very adjustable. So you either have a ton of slack on your body or a lot of slack with the dog. But my system is it's snug on your body, no matter how big or small you are, because they're adjustable. And that took off really well. I'm now making holsters for uh, Pro Plus 550s. Um, one of your patrons reached out today uh, to get a, an Alpha 200i holster. So I'm going to be doing that. I make uh, pinch collars now as well. So all of the city with style guys, I know everybody has a hard time finding those. And I've, I've been watching that for two or three years, knowing that there was a big hole. People weren't making them, but I wasn't quite ready. I've got a few of them out there now. Um, I can either just make basic plain ones if you don't want anything crazy, or I just sent out a full custom, really nice one, two of them this last week and getting really good feedback. The guy that initially set up to get them for me, he lives here in Idaho um, he said they are doing very well. It's not super long and bulky like those. Uh, I won't name names, but you can buy them online. And they're kind of loose and hanging all over. And you got a weird buckle system. They're very simple. They're thick, well-made, stiff, and they get the job done well. Um, but yeah, all sorts of different stuff, rifle slings, whatever you want. But I just kind of found this niche in the bird dog world where people want nice stuff or they have something they want made that they can't find anywhere and they reach out. Um, but you can find me on social media, um, Facebook or Instagram. It's fill in the outdoors underscore uh, custom leather. Um, I do have a website on there. I do have some stuff on there, but I need to kind of remake that, but I'm mostly on social media, but it's been pretty fun to kind of just, you know, build stuff for fellow bird dog guys and have fun with it. Cause I, I know what, I know what people need. I know I use this product every day my, myself. So I know where the hitches are, you know, it's not some guy that, yeah, he works on leather, but he really doesn't know what the purpose is. You know, he doesn't know where, what would be nice to have additional features, different stuff like that. So, uh, you know, shotgun sleeve holders, you know, custom wallets. I did a, a full custom uh, quail wallet for quail forever, you know, a Turkey wallet for a Turkey hunter, you know, all sorts of stuff. You name it, you can make it happen. For the most part, yeah. Don't ask me to make a gun holster, though, because I'm not getting insurance and I'm not covering it if something goes wrong. So don't ask me for a firearm <laughs> holster. That ain't happening. Yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, man, it, obviously I, I haven't seen anything in person myself, but uh, the pictures and, and everything I've heard, man, it, it, it looks really cool and, and awesome. And you can tell that you really take pride in, in the craftsmanship and and the actual uh, just the skill set that it takes to create some of that stuff. I mean, always screwing around. I think you've sent me two or three different prototype designs on different things of like, Hey, I'm trying to figure out how to make this work better. And I'm like, looks good to me as is, but yeah, man, it's have at it. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll have the link to your Instagram down here in the show notes. If people want to check that out and by all means, uh, hit you up for some stuff, but man, I, I enjoyed it. We, we definitely went a little longer than what I normally do on these profile episodes, but, uh, I enjoyed it. We might have to circle back and uh, reconnect and talk dogs a little bit more, maybe some badger hunting in the future. <laughs> yeah. I'll send you some pictures once I get that tackle down a hole, pull <laughs> a badger out of there. <laughs> yeah. No, nah, absolutely, man. Well, I, I enjoy it. We'll circle back and talk soon. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks, Nick. 
Thank you for listening to GDIY. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to take a moment to rate, review, and share with a friend. Also, be sure to follow us and our partners on Facebook and Instagram under Gundog It Yourself. If you really enjoy the podcast and would like to contribute even more to the future content, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Gundog It Yourself. Thanks again and happy hunting. Everyone seems to have the same questions or concerns when they start trying to decide which kennel to purchase for their vehicle. Perhaps it's time to stop asking all the questions and just design the perfect setup that meets your exact needs. B-Pro Kennel specializes in designing and fabricating custom premier dog boxes handcrafted right here in the USA from high grade lightweight aluminum. They'll get you set up with the size dimensions, lighting, storage, battery boxes with solar charging, and anything else you can dream of. Stop stressing over buying the wrong setup, just have to replace it again in a year. Go ahead and check out bprokennels.com and get exactly what you want. If you're considering changing your dog's food soon, then be sure to check out Yukonuba Pro Performance. Their science-backed formulas are designed to take your dog to the next level of performance. They also now have the new puppy formula to help your pups start strong and live active. When looking at all the different food options, remember Yukonuba to help power their ultimate performance. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Bob from Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles podcast. I hope you just enjoyed the episode you just listened to. And if you did, I think you'll enjoy hopping on ours. We've got professional retriever trainers and upland bird dog trainers from across the country and world sharing their tips and tricks and great stories to help you and your dog get ready for the season. We'll see you there.